This afternoon, we confess Lord's Day 8 of the Heidelberg Catechism, Lord's Day 8. And we'll read with that Article 8 of the Belgic Confession, page 503, Book of Praise. But first of all, Lord's Day 8. In Lord's Day 7, we dealt with the true faith and then also what a Christian must believe and those articles, the 12 articles of faith. And then we come to Lord's Day 8. How are these articles divided into three parts? The first is about God the Father and our creation. The second about God the Son and our redemption. The third about God the Holy Spirit and our sanctification. Since there is only one God, why do you speak of three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? Because God so revealed himself, has so revealed himself in his word that these three distinct persons are the one true eternal God. And then Article 8 of the Belgian Confession, page 503 in the Book of Praise. God is one in essence, yet distinguished in three persons. According to this truth and this word of God, we believe in, only, in one God only, one only God, who has one single essence in which are three persons, really, truly, and eternally distinct according to their incommunicable properties, namely the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The Father is the cause, origin, and beginning of all things, visible and invisible, the Son is the Word, wisdom, and the image of the Father. The Holy Spirit is the eternal power and might who proceeds from the Father and the Son. Nevertheless, God is not by this distinction divided into three, since the Holy Scriptures teach us that the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit each has his personal existence distinguished by their properties, but in such a way that these three persons are but one only God. It is therefore evident that the Father is not the Son, nor the Son the Father, and likewise the Holy Spirit is neither the Father nor the Son. Nevertheless, these persons thus distinguished are not divided nor intermixed, for the Father has not assumed our flesh and blood, neither has the Holy Spirit, but the Son only. The Father has never been without his Son or without his Holy Spirit, for these three in one and the same essence are equal in eternity. There is neither first nor last, for they are all three one in truth, in power, in godness, in goodness, and in mercy. So far our confessions. Beloved brothers and sisters in the Lord, and that includes you, boys and girls who belong to the Lord. You know, of course, how those 12 articles of our Catholic and undoubted Christian faith are divided into those three parts then, as uh, we confess in Lord's Day 8. First, about God the Father and our creation, that he has all the power and uh, the, the uh, control of creation. The second, about God the Son and our redemption, how he worked our complete salvation. And the third part, about God the Holy Spirit and our sanctification, how he renews us and he keeps us in faith. One mighty and gracious work of the three persons of the one holy and almighty God to create us, redeem us, renew us. Our complete life and salvation depends on this one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And this confession of faith is based on the Bible, 
And remember, faith is not only knowing what the Bible says, also finding your confidence. Uh, It's not only knowing, but also being confident in what the Bible says. Um, Confidence in in the Holy Trinity, and that's the aim of the sermon about the Trinity this afternoon, then too, to see the, the comfort there is in that confession, the confidence we can have in that. And I proclaim to you the gospel this afternoon with this theme, then Christ's church finds comfort confessing in confessing the triune God. First of all, in the confession of God the Father, in, secondly, in the confession of God the Son, and thirdly, in the confession of God the Holy Spirit. First, the church finds comfort in the confession of God the Father. Let me begin by mentioning somebody who knows exactly what the Holy Trinity is about. And that's Satan. Satan. James writes, chapter 2 of his letter, that even the demons believe and they tremble. Well, the devil, the great leader, the great father of lies, the murderer from the beginning, he also believes in God, the facts. In fact, we know from the Bible that he even believes the Holy Trinity. How do I come to that, you might wonder? Well, the Bible shows us that the devil is the master deceiver who is constantly out to destroy God's great work by means of deception. And the Bible shows us that the devil is so horribly cunning so deceitful that he even imitates God in a lot of ways. He speaks as an angel of light to cause believers to fall away from God, the Apostle Paul says. Well, he even tries to imitate the Holy Trinity. And he does so by organizing a kind of trinity himself. You might call that an unholy trinity. And by means of that unholy trinity, the devil tries to undo the work of the holy trinity. He tries to ruin the one great work of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit to save a church, a people out of this fallen world and to make all things new. We read quite a long section from The revelation to John, a section about a woman, a child, and three horrible beasts. The book of Revelation, you know, is a book of uh, symbols, symbolic book. The woman symbolizes the church of all times. The child she gives birth to is the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God. But those three awful beasts, the great red dragon, that beast from the sea and the beast which came, out from the, came up from the earth, they represent the unholy trinity by means of which Satan tries to destroy the work of the holy trinity. And God shows us how the devil tries to ruin his great work for us by means of those, that symbolism of those three beasts. In the first vision, Revelation 12, then John saw this great red dragon, huge, scaly, serpent-like creature, horrible to look at. And this dragon, as John relates, is also called the devil and Satan. 
The seven crowned heads of his horrible looking animal creature symbolize his aim of total world domination. The ten horns indicate his great power. Horns symbolize power. And with his tail, he swept down a third of the stars of heaven. In other words, when he fell, the devil dragged a large number of angels, who are often called stars of heaven, dragged a large number of angels with him in his ruin. And all this shows we should never underestimate the power of the evil one. He's the father of lies, the murderer from the beginning. And he lays claim to the whole world with his host of fallen angels. And he sets himself up as the ruler and controller of the world. The devil, in fact, places himself, the devil, as the dragon, places himself over against God the Father, the creator of heaven and earth. And the devil lays claim to all that God the Father has made. And he tries to ruin the plans that God the Father has with all that he has made. And it looks as if he's successful in his claim too. He has brought man to fall into sin and the whole world has changed when that happens. Where once the earth would bring forth fruit in abundance, there are now thorns and thistles. Where there was once joy and peace, there is now sorrow, hatred. Where once mankind loved and served God, there are now enemies of God by nature. But God the Father did not abandon the world he created, but he didn't give it up to the devil. No, he, he promised right after the fall, promised that the seed of the woman would crush the head of the serpent. And that brings us to that woman John saw in his vision, Revelation 12. That woman was clothed with the sun, had the moon under her feet, and a crown of 12 stars on her head. She represents the church in its glory. The 12 tribes of the Old Testament and the apostolic churches of the New Testament. First shown here as the Old Testament church, which is in anguish because a child is to be born. And that child is the promised seed of the woman who will crush the head of the serpent, the promised savior then. Born out of woman, born under the law, out of Old Testament Israel. Well, that great red dragon, the devil, knows that the woman is going to give birth to the Savior who will ultimately crush him. So he puts himself in front of that woman because he wants to devour and destroy the child as soon as it enters the world. Because he knows if he can destroy that child, all creation will be his. That child, though, is born promised seed of the woman who would carry the government of the world on his shoulders. And John sees him caught up to God and his throne in heaven right after his birth. So we're shown in one brief moment the birth, ministry, death, resurrection, and ascension of the Lord Jesus Christ. His 30 years on earth is just like a, the blink of an eye in the whole order of history. So John just sees him caught up into heaven before the dragon can grab him. And the point is that Satan was unsuccessful at preventing the coming and the working 
of Jesus Christ, the child, our Savior. And by his death and his resurrection, he established the eternal kingdom of God on earth and ascended into heaven. And there, he, there the victorious Christ sits on the throne, sits on the throne and, and his angels have cast that dragon Satan and his angels out of heaven. And so we can say that heaven is now liberated territory of the kingdom. Great victory in heaven. However, Satan and his hosts were cast down out of heaven to the earth. And they come here in great wrath because they know their time is limited here. Their time is limited. So he sets his sights, the devil sets his sights on that woman, the church, and he tries to as yet destroy her. But look at how God, and we think here then, of course, of God the Father, a creator, how he protects his people in Christ. When that dragon, that serpent, pursues the woman, he prepares a place on earth for her, a place in the wilderness, a place of isolation and protection. God the Father, the Almighty Creator, keeps the church separated from the world which is in the power of Satan. He preserves the church of Christ and cares for it so that even when Satan tries to carry that woman away with a flood out of his mouth, try to destroy her like that, God opens the earth and lets it swallow up that flood. The earth has to help protect the woman and God the creator who controls all creation does that. Brothers and sisters, boys and girls, we confess God the Father in our creation. All creation belongs to him, and he wants to give it to his people in Christ. But the dragon and the devil and his followers lay claim to this, and they they want to do away with the church. But notice here the picture of how God protects his church. He gives her wings to fly into the wilderness And there he nourishes her for a time, times and half a time. That's three and a half years, half of the total seven of history. From the that means the from the ascension of Christ to his return. It's also called one thousand two hundred and fifty days, forty two months in the in the chapters that we read. But for that in that time, during that time. God keeps and cares for the woman, the church, in the wilderness. Even when the dragon, the devil, tries to overcome her with that flood, with persecutions, God has the earth swallow that up. In other words, God the Father lets lets the history of the world unfold in such a way that the church is not overcome by the devil and his attacks. God the Father upholds and governs all things for the preservation and salvation of his people, his elect, redeemed by Christ. What a comfort to know that congregation from John's vision. Satan, the father of lies, the great red dragon, is always out to destroy God's people, to wipe, if possible, God's elect off the face of the earth. And he's still busy with that today. 
and even more intensely as time goes on, as he sees his time growing shorter all the time. But he can't do it. He won't be able to. For God the Father, our Creator, keeps and feeds the woman, the church, in the isolation of the wilderness. Like he did with his people Israel in the Old Testament when he brought them out of Egypt through the wilderness toward the promised land. He took care of her, fed her, watered her. So yes, also today, sometimes we might feel very isolated as Christians because we don't go along with everything that the world in the power of the dragon does. We don't go along with everything they do out there. If we don't go along with its ideas and philosophies and entertainment and so on, we can feel very alone, isolated. Suddenly there's distance between you and your coworkers. You realize they live in a different, they live in a different world while you are in the wilderness. For instance, you can sometimes feel so alone as a, as a Christian student in a public high school or in a college. And then the Bible and the church seem so out of touch with what's going on there in the world. Don't let it throw you off. God the Father, the Almighty Creator, He keeps His church in the isolation of the wilderness. Don't let that throw you off if you feel alone, isolated from them. And via the wilderness, he brings his people to the joy of the promised land, to the new earth which is on the way. We come to the second part of the sermon. The church's comfort in the confession of God the Son. We've already, congregation, said some things about God the Son and his work of redemption in the first part of the sermon. We saw how in a brief moment John saw the full work of God's Son, Jesus Christ, here on earth and how he saw that child born of that woman caught up to God in his throne in victorious exaltation, sits on the throne, he's given all the nations, ruling the nations with a rod of iron. He has completed his work of redemption on earth and so the eternal fate of the devil is sealed. The devil knows that too. His fate is sealed. However, as we also saw, the devil, that great dragon, doesn't give up, even though he knows that his end is approaching because of Christ's exaltation. No, the devil shows himself as the second person of his unholy trinity to be very, very dangerous and fierce. In Revelation 13, John saw another horrible creature, this time a beast with seven heads with a blasphemous name on them and ten horns and with crowns on them. And that beast rose up out of the sea representing the sea of all the people on earth. Again, a creature that symbolizes power and dominion and comes up out of mankind. But this beast is equipped to pursue, to strike down and devour because it has the body of a leopard, feet like a bear's, and a mouth like that of a lion to devour. And notice that the dragon, the devil, gives his power and throne and authority to this, this terrible beast. He gives that to him. You see the, the close connection between the dragon then and that beast from the sea. And here we see the devil 
imitating the relationship between God the Father and God the Son. As the Son did what the Father commanded him to do, so the beast from the sea does the dragon's bidding. And as God the Father gives all authority and power to his Son, so the dragon gives his authority and power to the beast from the sea. And the imitation gets even more striking. The beast from the sea parades around with a mortal wound on one of its heads. It should have died because of that wound. But the wound was healed. He lived. And it appears as if this beast has even gained power over death then. And in that healing of that deadly wound, that beast tries to imitate Christ's victory over death at his resurrection from the dead. Don't bother with believing in Christ's resurrection. Believe in me, I can give you life, in other words. But whereas God's Son only makes himself known to a circle of disciples, the beast displays his apparent victory over his mortal wound to the whole world. And the world is amazed and astonished and worships the dragon and the beast, saying, who is like the beast who is able to make war with him? How can we resist him? Look at the power he has. And then John sees how that beast from the sea speaks great things, blasphemous things. Blasphemes God for 42 months, which is like that three and a half years again, the time between Christ's resurrection and his ascension. And that beast makes war against all the saints And all the unbelievers worship him. Brothers and sisters, boys and girls, this beast beast from the sea is the exact opposite of God's son, Jesus Christ. It's an imitation of, but then the exact opposite. The Antichrist, we could say. John calls him the Antichrist in some of his letters. The exact opposite. The Antichrist represents every effort of man to reject God and save himself and make everything right on earth by his own power. He seems to be able to overcome even death and is worshipped. Even seems to cure all the diseases and everything else. Overcome has power over it. But he always also has to force people to worship him. And to worship the dragon. And to persecute the people of God. And that beast then represents any power or authority which offers life and salvation outside of God and Jesus Christ his son. And how many philosophies and religions have there not been over the ages which promise life and salvation outside of God's son Jesus Christ and which blaspheme the name of God and heaven and the believers of the past who have gone before us and are now there with God. After what has happened over the past week with killings by radical Muslims, you hear and read again that so many people figure the biggest problem in the world is religion. The world would be a much better place if there would be no religion, if religion was banned. Because it's the cause of all the conflicts. Man could think, fix things if he wasn't carried away with ideas about salvation from outside this world. Congregation, 
in spite of the amazing power of this beast, this son of the dragon, this antichrist, it cannot even save itself. In in, In chapter 13, verse 10, John reminds his readers, he who leads into captivity shall go into captivity. He who kills with a sword must be killed with a sword. Here is the patience and the faith of the saints. That's a a word of assurance there from from John. This anti-Christian beast is going to fail time and again to destroy the work of Christ and to wipe out his church. In 13 verse 8, it says that everyone whose name is not written in the book of the life of the Lamb will worship this beast. And they will go under with him if their name is not written in that book of life of the Lamb. But then think too, whoever's name is written in the Lamb's book of life will then continue and will see the life obtained by Christ. Their name is in the book. It cannot be removed. They've been delivered from the devil's power and slavery and even death has lost its sting for them. So when others in the world cry out, who is like the beast who is able to make war against him? Who can resist him? Then you know you belong to God's son who is the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead and the ruler of the kings of the earth. And that's a great comfort as you deal with the beast who is the second person of this unholy trinity. What Christ has done cannot be undone even by an antichrist the second person of the unholy trinity. Because those written in the Lamb's book of life will not fall for the Antichrist. We come to the last part of the sermon this afternoon. It's kind of a bird's eye view, congregation, but hope you get some idea of this. The the church's comfort also in the confession of God, the Holy Spirit. One more person in, in the holy trinity. And there's also one more being then in the unholy trinity. Revelation 13, another beast. And in this beast, we see how the devil imitates the Holy Spirit in order to be like God. And we see how by means of this creature, he tries to gather for himself a people which are the opposite of the Holy Catholic Church. John Congregation saw another beast then. This creature comes up out of the earth. He doesn't come from above either, but he comes also from below. And this beast doesn't look as terrible as the dragon or the beast from the sea. In fact, he resembles a lamb. However, he speaks like the dragon, the devil. He speaks lies. Blasphemies, in other words, too. And this shows the deceitfulness of this third person of the Holy Trinity. Though he appears mild and even Christ-like, he speaks for the devil and the beast from the sea, the Antichrist, who have, given, who have both given him of their power and dominion. As Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are one, so the dragon, the beast from the sea, and this beast from the earth are united as one, And as Father and Son send the Holy Spirit, so the dragon and the beast from the sea send out the beast from the earth. The false prophet, we could say. 
And this beast from the earth carries out activity on behalf of the devil and the Antichrist. He works great signs and wonders, even fire from the sky. And by means of them, he deceives the people of the earth and orders them to make an image of the beast from the sea, the Antichrist, and to worship that image. Notice, brothers and sisters, boys and girls, how how this beast works, though. And that's the point. He deceives with words. He deceives with words. He brings, he convinces people. And that is similar to the work of the Holy Spirit, only the opposite way. He, He tells people to make an image which he makes to speak. He causes those who do not worship that image of the beast to be killed. He causes people to receive a mark on their right hand or on their foreheads. That's all convincing things. He doesn't force them as such. He convinces. The beast from the earth uses words to convince people to work for him and for the other beast and the dragon. And in fact, he imitates the spirit. He's the antithesis of God the Holy Spirit. He's the false prophet. And you see what a caricature of the Holy Spirit, what this caricature of the Holy Spirit tries to do then by means of convincing people to believe the lies and deceit of the devil, he's trying to establish a kind of a communion, a sort of unity of people around that image of the beast from the sea, the Antichrist. This false communion even has a mark. Whoever doesn't have that mark is shut out of the marketplace of the world. This false communion, in other words, tries to starve out the communion of saints. So that beast coming out of the earth tries to build up a society which rejects the worship of Christ. A society marked by this false spirit on the hand or on the forehead. And that points to a way of acting and thinking that stands over against the way God and Jesus Christ want people to think and act. It will be quite different from the way those who belong to Christ think and act. And so Christians will be pushed aside in this world. And the Bible here doesn't prophesy, then you realize, the Bible doesn't prophesy a nice, bright, carefree future for those who belong to Christ in this world. It's not going to get easier for the church of Christ. It will not. It'll get more difficult as that unholy trinity goes about its work. Also that beast from the earth But we don't have to be afraid because look at the number of that beast. The number of that beast, it's six and six and six. The number of the beast will never be seven and seven and seven. Seven, you know, is a number of perfection, completeness in revelation, fullness. Well, the efforts of that beast the false prophet, and those he convinces by his deceitful words will always fall short. It'll always be six, not seven. Six, not seven. Six, not seven. And that means failure after failure after failure. And congregation, over against the repeated attempts of that beast from the earth to establish this communion of people who follow the dragon and the antichrist, God the Holy Spirit establishes the communion of saints. 
He convinces and he changes hearts by means of the word of God, the gospel of Jesus Christ. He strengthens faith by the mark of Christ on the forehead and by placing in our hands the bread and wine of the Lord's Supper. And he does that in such a way that believers don't need to see signs and fire from heaven in order to believe. But they're convinced by the gospel and want to love and serve God and his son no matter what. The spirit works mightily through the gospel so that we trust in God the Father and in the complete redemption of his son and so that we can see through all the nice deceitful words of the false prophet so that we can distinguish the spirits. So in Revelation 12 and 13, John saw the devil's unholy trinity at work. His work as dragon, antichrist, and false prophet. Extremely active, busy, working in this world we live in today too. And then it can scare you if you think about what that unholy trinity can do to us as Christians. The power it has can scare you. But brothers and sisters, boys and girls, over against that satanic unholy trinity, we confess from the Bible with the church of all times the holy trinity. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, one almighty and eternal God, creator, redeemer, sanctifier, our whole life in his hands. What a comforting confession that is. Satan can do his utmost to confound and destroy God the Father's work. But John's vision tells us he can't. He does not have the ultimate control. God keeps and cares for the woman, his church. And the beast from the sea, the Antichrist, may try to undo Christ's work. Try to show deliverance can be worked some other way outside of Christ. But John saw that he couldn't undo that work for our names have been written in the book of the life of the Lamb. The book of life of the Lamb who died and rose again victorious. And by means of that beast from the earth, the false prophet, the devil tries to convince and destroy the work of the Holy Spirit and lure believers away from faith in the gospel. Try to bring God's elect to fall. But his number is only 666 and never 777. The Holy Spirit works true faith and perseverance through the word and he strengthens it through the sacraments and the false prophet cannot ever take that faith away from God's elect. What a wonderful comfort to confess the Holy Trinity congregation. And then to think too, you know, at the beginning of this service, you receive the salutation of the triune God Grace to you and peace from him who is and was and is to come, the eternal God and Father. And from the seven spirits who are before his throne, the fullness of the Holy Spirit. And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead and the ruler over the kings of the earth, the Son of God who worked our complete redemption. In that greeting, God assures us all here as congregation that 
In this world in which Satan is so busy with his unholy trinity, God the Father, Son, and Spirit are working even more mightily to bring you through this wilderness, to stand there with those 144,000 at, at, at 144,000 at the, at the sea. We stand with the Lamb, Jesus Christ, on Mount Zion in, this, in 14 verse 1. And we have their Father's name written on their foreheads who represent the full number of all God's elect. He will bring you there. Amen. Let us pray. Lord God, thank you that we may know you as one God in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We don't fully understand everything, how that can be, but we believe it from your word, and we also believe that that means we can leave our whole well-being and salvation in your hands. Even if the devil with his unholy trinity tries, to, tries his utmost to undo everything and extinguish faith, he'll never be able to destroy your church and your elect people and undo the work of Christ. Erase those names that are written in the Lamb's book of life. He won't be able to. Thank you for that comfort. And through that gospel of your Holy Trinity, motivate us then to stand firm in our faith and obedience even if we come into contact with the work of the evil one in us or around us. Father, hear us, we pray, in the name of Jesus Christ, who with you and the Holy Spirit live and reign forever. Amen.